Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. I want to give a quick prelude and then I want to get into the book of Galatians, but you don't have to turn there. I want to read something to you out of Exodus. Remember in Exodus 32, and how many of you brought notes today to take notes? Good. Okay. I can't tell you how many times and years, I know that the new generation's like, oh, I just watched on the video. Don't be cheap, okay? Don't, don't cheapen what God is releasing, okay? Put it on some paper. Go back and read it. it. It helps you when you write it get into your head. You know what I'm saying? When I prepare to minister, I don't just type everything out. I write it and I type it so that it just gets in my heart so that I'm not just coming up with messages. I'm writing something upon my heart, amen? And so in, in Exodus 32, um, the Lord gets ticked, right? And these people, because the Lord is delayed, they're disappointed with him. Because Moses is delayed, their expectations are disappointed. And they're saying Moses is taking forever. And I'm just paraphrasing, but Moses is taking forever. And they build this golden calf. Anyone ever read the, read the story? And, and you never really understand Aaron, like, all right, let's do it. Like, and and so they begin to hear these, these shouts going on in the camp while Moses and, and Joshua are in this cloud of glory experiencing God for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And um, the Lord comes to Moses and he says, I'm so sick of these people, I'm gonna wipe them all out. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. This is like the epitome of intercession. Lord, you can't do that. And he makes this statement, he says, remember Abraham. Like, I want you to realize how much weight you hold to the Lord. This is in an old covenant. Moses says, remember Abraham, and it strikes this chord in the father's heart, kind of like, oh yeah. All right, Moses, because of you, I'm not gonna destroy anybody. But here's what I'm gonna do. And you get to, you get to 33, here's what it says. Just starting in verse one. He says, and the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt and to the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it and I will send an angel before you. This is important. This is not talking about, there's, the angel's not capitalized here. This is not, this is not Christ, the volume of the book, the beginning of the end. How many of you know he was the fire, he was the cloud? Any, okay, you guys read your Bibles? How many of you know he's on every page? He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's, and, and when it talks about faith carrying, carrying them in the wilderness, faith conquering kingdoms, it's talking about the lamb literally walking from generation as the angel, capital A of the Lord, if you read the Old Testament. But this is not, this is not that. This is like the Lord saying, I'm gonna just give you an angel. And this angel, let's see if I can do this right. This angel will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, all the ites. Okay, thanks. Felt right, felt good. <laughs> Verse three, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. So he's saying, I'm gonna send an angel with you, but I'm not gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys go and you're gonna be successful and you're gonna conquer kingdoms and it's gonna be amazing and it's it's. And you're gonna get to the land flowing with milk and honey, but here's the deal, Moses, I'm not going. I'm not going with you. And Moses goes on and he begins to intercede in verse 12. And 
He says, Moses said to the Lord, he's interceding. He said, Lord, bring up, see, you say to me, like they're, they're going back and forth. And I love it because in verse 32, he says, Moses, these people that you let out of Israel, like all of a sudden the Lord is not identifying with them anymore. And Moses is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The people that I let out of Israel, these are the people you told me to go get. I want you to see that how much this man was God's friend. So this man begins to say, bring up this, you said to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. He's talking about this angel. You said you're going to send me an angel. What are you talking about? And he goes on to say, now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. It's like a little kid that is asking for something he knows that he shouldn't be. And he gets on like the lap of the Lord. And he's like, I need to know your order in, in order to find favor in your sight. And he says, consider to this nation, they are your people. And this is how he's talking to the Lord. They are your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In one, like two verses, God, his heart is provoked to change from I'm gonna send you an angel, but I'm not going to, all right, I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. Right? And Moses goes on and he says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, I don't want an angel, I want you. If your presence doesn't go with me, don't bring me up from here. For how shall it be known that we have found favor in your sight and your people, is it not, listen, it is not in your going with us so that we are distinct and I, I and your people from every other face, every other people on the face of the earth. In other words, you're the only thing that distinguishes us from every other nation. And he goes on and the Lord said to Moses, this is the very thing you have spoken, I will do this very thing. For you, Moses, have found favor and I know you by name. And then Moses goes on and says the crazy thing of show me your glory. So I want you to get this picture because what we're going into, we have to make sure the pursuit is right. Otherwise, we're gonna start pursuing our identity more than him, okay? But when the pursuit is right, this was Moses' desire, is, Lord, I would rather be in the wilderness with you than in the promise without you. I would rather be, I'd rather be living day by day, paycheck by paycheck, called manna from heaven. I'd rather be confused about where we're going tomorrow, but you have, we have you, than having the milk and the honey and all of the land without you. And Moses is telling the Lord, success is not where we're going, success is where you are. And here's the thing is that the people were disappointed because they wanted the success quicker than God was bringing it. And if you're disappointed with God, it exposes your pursuit. Because the only way you're disappointed with God is because you think that God hasn't given you something that he should in your timing. But what you're saying to the Lord is, Lord, you're not enough for me. I want what I can get from you. I'm looking for a destination. I'm not really looking for you. And the Lord's raising up some Moseses all over the earth in this hour that are saying, I don't want the building if you're not in it. I don't want the ministry if you're not in it. If we're gonna have a stadium with a million people in it, praise God. But how is that different than a football game if you're not in it? It's only your presence that distinguishes us, right? There's no difference between what's happening in this room and a social club, the only thing that makes this different is his presence. So we can come in and we can do all the emotions and all the stuff. But until we go, Lord, we aren't moving a muscle unless you go, it's only then God says you are distinct in the earth.
right? And so we have to, listen, we have to see this because in, in whatever it is that we are beginning to learn, listen, in this new season and understand and grow in, his presence, and when I say his presence, I mean him, is the priority of our pursuit. I just, I just wanna like, this is like my disclaimer. Because sometimes when I start getting into, sorry, this thing is annoying me. Sometimes when I start getting into some of these things, we start putting our attention on what God is doing for us, who we are to God. But remember, without him, we can do nothing. As long as we stay there, okay? Because, you know, and I, I dealt with it a couple of weeks ago, but, but we can't just say, when we say only preach Christ, what are we saying? Right, we really have gotta understand the depths and the substance of this man that he is so much the volume of the book that when we're talking about prayer, we're talking about him. But the subtle temptation is to be more infatuated with the object than the person. We become better at doing worship and forget about the one we're worshiping, okay? So the priority is his presence. He is the purpose of it all, otherwise we're wasting our time. We are wasting three hours a weekend, three and a half more likely three and a half hours every Sunday if he doesn't distinguish us with his presence. Amen? Last Sunday, I have to share a testimony with you. I was, uh, you know, my dad ministered two hours straight. And I'm sitting there and I, I just looked at my phone for like one second because I'm like, this is long. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Would you, would you just, just clip this for me? Sorry, I'll just stand here and talk. Can we just honor Tanner? This is great. Thanks, bro. Yeah, perfect. Oh my gosh, thanks. I look at my phone for like two seconds just to be like, I'm just curious. I'm curious how long he's gone. The Lord immediately spoke to me. The minute I looked at my phone and he said, you're not gonna have him forever. Put your phone down and cherish this moment. And I said, oh, I wanted to smash my phone (laughs) on my knee. You have no idea what tomorrow holds. Don't you dare come in this room and complain about service being too long. There's, there's churches down the street you can go to with sort of shorter services. But here, we're gonna cherish every moment that we're with the Lord. Every single moment, amen? Okay, so we're, but, we're, but we're wasting time unless he's here. That, that's, that's all I'm saying. So in 1982, and I, want you to, and I want you to write this down. In 1982, and this is what's gonna lead us into, that was just kind of prelude. In 1982, the Lord spoke to Mike Bickle in a hotel room and he made this statement and, and Pastor Gerardo sent me this this week and when I heard it, my insides began to shake. And he said, in 1982, the Lord spoke to him and I want you to write this down. I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. Ready? I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. Did you get that? He said it was, and you don't have to write this part down, just listen, but he said he was instantly clear. It was instantly clear to him that when God said understanding, he meant how the unbelieving world perceives the church. This is Mike Bickle talking. He said, the governments of this world see Christianity mostly irrelevant. And it's true. Not a threat to anything, mostly boring, not relevant, but they need your votes at, uh, you know, at election time. So they cater to the evangelicals every four years, right? But, but in reality, we're not really, you know, like these 12 men, they caused an uproar in culture. 
I mean, Paul is brought before Caesar. I, I imagine like when the Lord says, I'm gonna put you before dignitaries and men, Paul didn't think like, I'm literally going to drag you, beat you, but you're gonna stand before them. And, and these, these apostles that carried the message of the kingdom flipped every system they walked into upside down. And today, we have a big church, but a weak church. And I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about just at large. And I'm not beating up the bride. We're looking for her. I'll say that every week. But we're going to beat on religion until we find the bride come forth, okay? But for the most part, Religion doesn't have, or I'm not religion, Christianity doesn't really have any voice whatsoever in our government. You, you would agree with that. You, you watch the news and the, the homosexual community has more of a voice than we do. Just being honest. And if you're homosexual and you're in this room, God brought you here to find him. And we love you and you're welcome here, but you're not gonna leave the same. You don't come into the presence of Jesus one way and leave the same way. He makes you like him and he isn't confused. He wasn't confused when he made you. He didn't decide, I'm gonna let them decide what they're gonna be. He said, I've chosen you before the foundation of the world, which means I gave you a calling, a purpose, and out of trillions of chances, God chose you to be exactly as you are, anointed, called as a man or as a woman. You can't decide. It's not part of the equation, but nobody says that in church. Because even the church has allowed the homosexual community to have more of a voice than the Lord. And we give our opinions and we talk around it and preachers go on the view and they give their view rather than the Lord's view. Right? So for the most part, Mike Pickle didn't say all that. Let me protect him. I said all that part. He would though. For the most part, we're irrelevant. We're happy we go home, we watch football. Football season just started. Praise the Lord. I know you guys preach against it. I enjoy it. Get over it. I saw some guys like, I love Sundays and Saturdays and Thursday nights and Monday, Monday nights. You know, like, I love the song on ESPN. But, and by the way, you can like things in life without it becoming an idol, just so you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you're checking your fantasy football league, though, more than reading the scriptures, you have a problem. That you do have a problem. No, I had to give up on fantasy football a long time ago because it consumed my life. But anyway, so the expression is going to change, or I'm sorry, the understanding is going to change. How the government views the church is going to change. It's, and so he, he goes on to say, the Lord said to him while he was thinking, we're mostly irrelevant. The Lord said to him, I'm going to change that in one generation. Come on, how many of you believe, like, hey, the time has come. I don't want to just, I, I want it selfishly. Just call me, whatever. I want to be that generation. I want to be a part of it. it says, I'm going to change it in one generation, and there's a weightiness. This is 1982. That's going to come upon communities that have made their priority to be near to me. It'll be like the Acts 5, 11 through 13, when fear came upon everyone around the church because of the power of God. Amen expression. He said he understood it as the way we would live our lives together. This center being his presence, producing houses that prioritize above all else, prayer and worship. Amen. So I want to expound today on the expression piece. If I expound too much on the understanding, I'm just going to yell a lot and, you know, start 
hitting religion in the face. Today, I wanna teach something. I want to expound on the expression of the church. And we, again, disclaimer, we know that the only expression worth pursuing is his presence, right? Okay, but the Lord's been asking me this question. I just wanna start with a question. And it's a weird question, and it's been circling my mind for all week. And I've been like kind of condemning myself over this question. But the question is, is what is the message for this generation? That just has been circling in my mind. What is the message for this generation? And I've continued to respond to the Lord. Well, God, you're the message, right? Jesus is the message. There's no other message. And, and he, I, mean, I'm, I mean, I'm giving the Lord, Lord, it's written, you know, you're the beginning and the end. Giving him his own scriptures. You're the only thing that matters. And, and, that's, and, and then he hasn't responded all week. And I'm just, I don't know anything else other than you are the message that I'm pursuing, right? So last night I'm sitting there and again, I'm trying to study and I'm being distracted with what is the message to your generation. I'm like trying to prepare a message. God's asked me, what is the message to your generation? And when again, I said, it's you, it's Christ, period. That's what I said. He interrupted me with a shout. Last night, this is like late last night and I hear the lamb and the lamb's wife. And I got, I'm just being honest. I said, and? I, like, who am I, you know? But I thought I'd take a risk. And there's no additions to, and you get, you know, we get all the Christianese stuff we say, you know, Jesus needs no additions, all these different things. And, and I said, Lord, and so I, after I hear this shout, I'm thinking maybe this is my own mind, but I heard a shout, the lamb and the lamb's wife. And so I did the religious response, oh Lord, this doesn't have anything to do with us. You're the message. And I heard him say, don't despise my cross. Wow. Late last night, don't despise my cross. And then I shut up. And he went on to say, if you weren't a part of the father's message and desire, because we hear it all the time, the father only has one message named Jesus. What is locked up in this man named Jesus? So he went on to say, if you weren't a part of the Father's message and desire, I wouldn't have died. I would have stayed here, set up a physical kingdom. But the reality is I ascended to intercede for you. Listen, and when you are ready, I will come set up my kingdom on the earth. To separate Christ, and I want you to write this down, from his bride is an insult to the cross. And we're gonna get to Galatians because this thing has bewitched the church. And it's bewitched the church in, in uh, verbiage like, it's not about you, don't be prideful. I've even said this before, and I know it's not about us. I mean, the reality is he married a prostitute. But you didn't stay a prostitute. And if you did, we've got a bigger problem on our hands. Because how much darker is that darkness when you know, but yet you still do the thing that you know you shouldn't do, right? And so the Lord comes to me and he says, it's not, no, no, no. The lamb and the lamb's wife is my story. And I'm a, my, my own religion is, is offended because, you know, you just hear people so much, so much, just Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus. But if someone came into my house with Emily and I, and all they said is just William, just William, I would, I would be like, hold on, hold on. Have you forgotten about my wife? But here's what we have. We have mistresses today, not brides. We have intimacy without the weight of carrying the family. 
intimacy without the weight of having to bear the name. But see, there becomes a responsibility when you have his name. To separate Christ from his bride is an insult to the cross and dishonoring to the Father's purpose. See, it's, it's, it's not really about you. It isn't about you. It's about God's story. But what story did God write? From the beginning, God wanted heaven to be visible, so he made man. Hear me. God wanted the manifestation of himself on the earth, so he made man. And then we go, oh, wretched, horrible, disgusting people we are, and we delay the wedding. The lamb and the lamb's wife is God's story. And if you never come, listen, if you never come to see your involvement in this story, you're gonna be the Matthew 22 guest at the wedding that comes in and she doesn't have her garment on. And my duty, our duty as a community, our duty as leaders is to put your garment on, to equip you with the garment that you're supposed to be wearing. And so I will not allow behind this pulpit someone to come and take away your involvement in the story. Because me allowing somebody to come and remove your involvement from the story removes God's desire. It takes out his purpose. If you weren't important to him, he wouldn't have died. This is like kindergarten elementary. Listen to this, Revelation 21, one through three. And I want you to actually turn, let's turn to it. I want you to see something. I want you to see something. We're gonna get to Galatians in a minute. But we're gonna deal with, we've been bewitched by religion. And the enemy knows if he can just get you to think like a mistress, he delays the day when he's forever done, right? If he can get you to think like, touch me, heal me, save me, but I'm not gonna bear your name and literally take on your identity, then he keeps a bride unprepared because you're not a bride, you're, a, you're, a, you're still a mistress. Revelation 21, listen, one through three, are you there? Say amen. amen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven had passed away and the sea was no more, and I saw a, I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out from heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So what was the city? Come on, guys. What was the city? No. Come on, read it. What was the city? I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. Okay. You still want the promised land, but there's a promised life available. This city was prepared as a bride. Listen, adorned for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and I will dwell with them, and I will be their God, and God himself will be with them as their God. This bride, listen, plays a pretty big role in the end game because you keep reading verse nine, and here's where it's really gonna hit you. You ready? Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This doesn't say as. It says, I'm gonna show you the bride. And then it goes on and it says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. Let's go back. Come this way. I'm gonna show you the bride, the lamb's wife. 
what do they see? A city coming down from heaven on a great mountain. Have you been called this, the light of the world? A city, a city on a hill. Okay, we got that, right? We've learned that here, that the city's a bride. It's not, we're not waiting for some like twin towers to come from the sky. You, you are God's building, the word says. Okay, I'm gonna show you the bride. So this is in the beginning of 21. I'm gonna show you the bride. Come, I want you to look at her and here's what, here's what he saw. Verse 11, having the glory of God, the radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper clear as crystal. See, we've taught that as being like this far away galaxy in the cosmos somewhere where this is what heaven looks like. You, gotta, you got to read it in context. The context is I'm showing you the bride. And all of a sudden you start reading this chapter very differently, right? Streets of gold still describing the bride. Just read it. But we're trying to figure out who's gonna get the biggest mansion. Who bewitched you? You are God's building. So the whole thing is describing a bride. Then you get to verses 22 through 27 and it, saw, and it says, I saw no temple in the city. So the city is a prophetic picture of the bride, right? So you can, let, let me just say it in context. Is that okay? Take, take the, the allegory, the picture out of it, and I'm just gonna say it to you straight. You ready? Are you guys okay? I feel religion in the room. I'm gonna hit it in the face before the end of the day, I promise. Because some of you enjoy being a mistress. Some of you like his benefits, but you don't want the weight of having to carry bridal intimacy with God that says, after we've been intimate, I have to do something with what I've been given. That is going to mess with governments in the earth. And we are going to stay as this weak, irrelevant church unless we see this bridal truth. I saw no temple in the city. So it's still talking about the bride. So I'm just going to put bride in there. Okay. I saw no temple in the bride for her temple is the Lord, the almighty lamb. And the bride had no need for the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives her light and her lamp is the lamb. This is, this is reading it in context. By her light, I will, nations will, will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their light into her and her gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And they will bring her the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean, listen to this, will ever enter into her, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Most of the Western church cannot believe this. Even though it says it, you still don't believe it. Even though it describes the lamb. Are you awake this morning? Dan McCollum says this, most live, listen, in the reality of forgiven, but not free. Most don't believe, this is now me talking, most don't believe Romans 6 that says you can be set free from sin. Most don't believe that we can be unhindered by the elements of this world. And as long as we believe we are only forgiven and not free, we will have no impact on a world, listen, in bondage to sin because we ourselves are still in bondage to sin. And how we prove our bondage to sin is we call ourselves sinners. We identify with the nature of sin. And we have a double-minded problem in the church. And the word says that an, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I've watched my dad get kicked out of conferences. 
kicked out of conferences because he was teaching, you have to decide. The word says no mingled seed. You have to decide. You, you, you don't just walk around in duality. This is, what, this is what Peter did as he's walking on water. When he got into the boat after falling in the water, the Lord speaks to him and says, Peter, why did you doubt? That word doubt means why were you twain in your thinking? Who told you, Peter, that you were different than me? Who bewitched you? Come on, you've heard this before, right? And so this thinking that on one hand we're sinners, and, but yet we're, we're the righteousness of God in Christ, who the heck are you? Hmm. First John 4, 17. Listen, the Bible's either, either true or it isn't. So let's just read a couple of things that we have to decide are true or not. As he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are, so are we in heaven. Does it say that? No, it doesn't. Come on, guys. Put your thinky caps on. Don't just listen. Don't just listen. Press into what God is trying to say. Because I'm telling you, I, I'm, I wanna be that house that when someone comes and tries to tell us something that we're not, that we don't respond with amens at the wrong times. Come on, brother. We're all gonna go to hell. Come on, man. <laughs> People just say stuff. They just, they come into church and we just think stuff because in the 80s, some pastor said it and we never read the book of Galatians for ourselves. We never read Revelation 21. I literally, literally met with somebody the other day that said to me, I can't read the book of Revelation. And I said, what are you talking about? I've never read it. I should probably read the last two chapters of Galatians or Revelation. I'm like, I wanted to, like, I'm not the guy to say that to. Because, and you know what is, is they got a prophetic word for me. Don't, don't give me a prophetic word unless you can say it is written. I'm not going to hear anything that you have to say unless this word is buried in your heart. Don't tell me about your problems and all the stuff you've got going on if you don't know you're a city called the Lamb's Wife. Read your Bible, millennials and Gen Z. Read it. Like, I, I, I smell it. It's not an idol. I just love it. I don't just read it for 10 minutes before I go to bed. I want to bury my life in this thing so that like I love what Adam said at a prayer room because what we have today is everybody's got a word but nobody can say it is written. And Jesus didn't give the devil how he feels. He didn't give the devil a prophetic word about his future. No, the Lord told me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, the Lord told me I'm gonna die on a cross to be raised from the dead and you're gonna die forever. What are you gonna say? He said, it is written. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. We have to employ the methods of Jesus if we want the presence of Jesus. Here's a little, here's a little rabbit trail. Matthew 18, this is great. I talked about this with our elders the other day. This is the methods of Jesus, ready? If someone has an odd against you, Go up to them and confront them. And if they don't listen, take a couple people with you. If they still don't listen, bring them in front of the church. Call them out, say, Adam, stand up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is red letters. Anyone ever read the book of, anyone read your Bible? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says about his church. How many of you know this is his church? So with God as like our church administrator, 
This is what he would tell us to do. If somebody's offended and they continue to be offended or continue to do sin or continue to do things that you tell them not to do, have them get up in front of the church, say it in front of the whole church so that fear comes upon everybody. And if they don't listen, this is our loving lamb holding God. If they don't listen, cast them out and make them as a Gentile and a tax collector to you. If you got a problem with that, you have a problem with Jesus because he said it. And I think if Jesus stood up in church today, we would still throw rocks at him. We'd shout Hosanna when he got in, but then he'd start talking and we'd start saying crucify him because our religion is more Lord to us than the Lord. And the Lord says, here's how I want you to deal with things. If somebody's offended, tell them to stand up. The Bible says, mark those that cause division. I, I wanna be that kind of house. I just, I wanna love you, but like if that, if God is love, then that must be love. I mean, and, and here's what love looks like. It looks like we're gonna protect the lamb and the lamb's wife. We're gonna protect her identity by not allowing the little foxes to come in and gossip and use verbiage like, you know, brother, we're just gonna let, I'm just telling you so we can pray. No, you're gossiping. We have a problem with that here. We actually do. Bro, did you hear what happened? I'm not telling you because I want to gossip. Don't, it's, this isn't gossip. It's for us to fast together. What are you talking about? It is written. Just go, just go to it is written. That love holds no record of wrong. Love believes the best. We need that in a prophetic culture. Love believes the best. So if you're getting something critical, you make sure your heart's in love. Don't allow your prophetic spirit to become a critical one or we'll kick you out. According to Matthew 18. This is, guys, this is, this is, it is written. See, and what we've got to do here, here's what we've got to do. We've got to separate our emotions from this thing. And what we deem to be love and kind, right? Like love and kind is you just keep messing with the flock and think it's okay. Causing division, all kinds of stuff. Can I share a testimony? Well, no, the Lord just told me not to. Thank you. Wow. Immediately he said, no, 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 no. I heard that in my ears. Wow. He protects me and loves me. We've never had to do that, thank God. But we have done that with like the two or three approaching. And you know what I'm looking for is a house that comes in actually in the fear of the Lord because we've employed the methods of the Lord. And you don't just get away with things that the Lord said you can't get away with. That does, just, just doesn't work. Well, you don't like me. It does, my liking you or disliking you is irrelevant because it is written in Matthew 18 that this is how I have to lead a church. So you gotta detach your emotions and detach what you feel and what you, you know, we, we replace the scriptures with how we feel. Well, this is like my best friend. It doesn't matter if it's your own brother. This is upside down. You either believe it or you don't. And it is written in 2 Corinthians 1.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Is anyone in Christ? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things. Some things or all things? All things have become new. He didn't leave a little sin in there. It's either true or it isn't when it says in the same chapter, we are the righteousness of God. Say, I am God's righteousness. Say it with your mouth. I am God's righteousness. You see how that messes with that weird thing in you? That's the Bible. It is written. You are God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. So go to Galatians 1. 
It is sweaty in here. Jesus, thank you for air, like just a cool wind from heaven. All right, starting, let's start in verse six. And like I said, not this Wednesday, because we're gonna be praying and worshiping on Wednesday night. But next Wednesday, I wanna literally take this verse by verse. Because how many of you have read the book of Galatians? Hopefully everybody's read the book. Okay, I've read the book of Galatians like I don't know how many times, and I've read it like six times this week in both the ESV and in the Passion. And I, every single time, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I I mean, after like a thousand times, I'm I'm an idiot, you gotta be kidding me. The way I've thought about myself, I'm an idiot. You gotta be kidding. Just, just, I mean, you bury yourself in this stuff because all of a sudden you're, you're gonna find the presence of the Lord thickening as you get into this. This is, this is what he wrote. You can't just say, don't, don't ever preach anything but this or this. He, he preached a lot of stuff in 66 books that is all about the lamb and the lamb's wife, okay? Verse six, I am astonished at you. Now to give you context, Paul is coming to the Galatians saying, what happened to you? In one part, which I'm not gonna read today, but in one part he says, I'm perplexed with you. I'm confused of what to do with you, Galatians. Like imagine Paul showed up and said, I don't know what's wrong with you guys, but something's just, I'm confused of how to move forward. Because you started in grace, but now you've gone back to works. That's the whole context of Galatians. So you get to verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly, listen, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel, listen, or we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary, listen, to, to what we preached to you, let him be accursed. The, 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 uh, the passion says, as you go on, it says, you allowed those to mingle, that mingle law and grace to confuse you. You've allowed those who, who mingle this double-minded thing of you still have to do this and behave right. You still have, it's still behavior, but it's also grace. And that which only came by grace, the Galatians are going back to, okay, but now we've got to do this. And it sounds right and it seems right. And there's a way that seems right to a man that the Lord is dealing with. So you go on, I'm going to just jump around, go to chapter two. And go to verse 15. For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of law, but, but because, because by works of law, no one is justified. Then you get to, let's jump to verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And this life I now live in the flesh. Everyone say in the flesh, your sinful, disgusting flesh that everybody's always telling you is horrible. How many of you know the Bible says I will quicken your mortal 
See, I'm preaching this for my children because I'm, I'm after something in a generation that's gonna change the expression of the church in one generation. Generation Alpha, they're the first. That would be perfect. Let's start over. That's my kids. And so what I'm gonna teach my kids is that Galatians 2.20 tells you that you have been crucified with Christ and you, William, no longer live, but Christ in you. And the life you now live, William, in the flesh, the original says you live by the faith of the Son of God. So it's not even dependent on how well you do, how much you, you do. For, it's all dependent on the faith of God that hung on a tree on your behalf. And if you can believe that while in the flesh you are as he is, so are we in this world, you're gonna conquer the earth. And you're gonna disrupt every system you walk into. That God is literally going to quicken your mortal body and he's going to remove sin out of a generation. There won't even be, listen, the mention and the temptation of it according to Romans 6. Romans 7 tells you what it's like when when you're under the law, what it's like when you're double-minded, what I want to do, I can't do. I want to be right, but I can't be right. And we have preachers today yelling, come get right with God. But you can't get right with God. God made you right with God. You can't just, you know, we don't like, Jesus is not a decision. I heard a pastor, he's not a decision. I'm gonna decide to give him my life. He's not a decision, he's an encounter. He's a real person. I don't just like decide one day, all right, Lord, you, you can come into my life. No, no, you encounter him into his life. He doesn't come and join your deal. You join his. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You don't just answer an altar call and decide, all right, Lord, come in. I'm gonna, and we, we have him repeat the prayer. It's not anywhere in scripture, but we do stuff because it's what they did generations ago. Like nowhere in scripture they say, run to the front, run to get right with God, get right. No, that didn't exist in scripture. For the love of God, it is written. Paul would stand up and he would minister and 3,000 people, 3,000 people would get saved in a moment. See, it's not just, we're not coming into a day where it's like a couple are trickling and going to the front and we're clapping, although I love that. Nothing makes me happier than that. What we're gonna see is, is we're gonna see stadiums full of people with 500,000 still outside. I'm talking about that measure of, of crazy prayer. Mike Bickle literally said a part of that 1982 thing that the Lord said to him, he said, I was getting pictures of stadiums filled with people with no promotion attached to it. No marketing campaign for 17 years and four people showed up and you brought the biggest speakers and the biggest musicians in. And we need, that, we need that system to come crumbling down. Let's bring in Lecrae so he attracts people. Lecrae sounds like the world. Ooh. Looks like the world, sounds like the world, talks like the world, stands up in front of people and doesn't say anything whatsoever about Jesus. Cool songs though, it'll get the crowds. I don't want those crowds. God bless them. We love people though, we do. The Bible says, call out those who claim to be apostles and they're not. The Lord literally encourages a church in Revelation. I know, that, I know you. He's mad at them for leaving first love, so be very careful as you're calling people out that 
You don't leave love. <laughs> Help me, Lord. He says, you've called out those that are not apostles that say they are. And the Lord likes that about them. Now, please don't go start making YouTube videos about people for the love of God. <laughs> but what I am saying is that for too long, these pulpits have been so safe and irrelevant. Preachers with cool pants on, no power. I think my pants are pretty cool, but may I also have power? You know, like uh, cool taglines and they rhyme and the whole message is built on like one-liners. But you're not provoked to go and eat the word when you're done and say, show me who I am. They're just teaching you how to, to maintain your problems. Christian maintenance, just putting a bandage on you, gossiping about you while they're doing it. Look at them bleeding over there rather than covering one another as a body. My right hand doesn't gossip about my left when it's bleeding out. It covers it. I forgot where I was. Oh yeah. For the sake, listen, of a generation, I want my son and my daughter, my sons and my daughter or potential daughters coming here soon. We don't know. We just don't know. My 17 kids, I want to tell them. Sorry, if this felt right in a moment. I want, I want my kids to grow up, and if I ever hear out of their mouth, I'm a sinner, I'm going to put soap in their mouth like they cussed. You never, ever let that garbage come out of your mouth again, because the more you believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, the more you're required to live by it. But the more you're like, oh, I'm just some horrible, disgusting person, woe is me, you're going to live like woe is me. And then when you sin, you're going to be like, well, it's just part of who I am. You should be slapped and ask for forgiveness and repent, not only for the sin, but not believing the cross and despising him. So you go on and he says, live in the flesh. Everyone say in the flesh by the faith of the son of God. And he says, I do not listen. I do not nullify the grace of God. That word means to violate. I do not violate the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ would die for no purpose. Don't violate his grace. I love this. The, the, um, and I'm going to read it in a second, but the Passion sense says, don't violate grace by adding your works to it. Don't violate his grace by, by you bringing your additions in called good behavior. Good behavior flows from who you are. If you try to be good, you're not gonna be good. But if you throw your life into him, and what people are gonna mark this as is these people are arrogant. These people believe that they're powerful and mighty and strong. See, I, I ask you what's more arrogant. When you stand in front of a mirror and the response and reflection you see is him or it's you, what's more arrogant? If, if in the mirror, all you see is you, you are consumed with you. But if you look in a mirror and you see the glory of the Lord according to what is written, 
and you see the glory of the Lord taking you from glory to glory to glory, sanctifying you in deeper measures of himself. What's more arrogant, being lost in him or still being a part of the picture? See, it sounds humble to say I'm nothing but a sinner. It sounds humble to say, woe is me, I'm just this little person. That sounds right. But to God, it's like God is going, no, 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 I married you. Take ownership of this house with me. See, that's really offensive. Come on, raise these kids with me. No, 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 no. I'm not worthy. If she said this to me, I would have to have marriage counseling. She doesn't think she's worthy to be with me. So you keep going. And he says in chapter three, oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish church of the West, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Why? Why was he crucified? Oh my God, for you? This is like, this is like what we learn in Sunday school. He died for you so you can be forgiven and free. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing, of, by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun? Here's what I want you to hear. Having begun by the spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh. I am telling you, I've seen this so many times. People have these encounters with God that only God can bring. And you are like, without you, I can do nothing. And then all of a sudden you start turning toward this thing of teaching righteousness as this thing that we work rather than something we've been pierced by that we become. It's not your righteousness. You are not involved. Listen, and I know that this is offensive, but you foolish Galatians, you who started in the spirit, why are you adding your works to it thinking that now you can further sanctify yourselves? By behaving right. So you keep going. And let's go to, let's go to chapter four, starting in 19. And I'm gonna start kind of in the middle. But Paul is saying, I anguish in birth pain until Christ be formed in you. How I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, but I'm perplexed about you. You confuse me with what you believe. This is what he's saying. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do not, do you not listen to the law? For it is written, there it is again, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, one by the free woman. And I really want to unpack this in two weeks, but, but the one, listen, of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants, you just got to read Galatians. I mean, it is as clear as it gets. Describing two covenants. One is from the Mount, from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. I mean, it's giving you the layout of the equation. For she is, the, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. I... Can't wait till we can expound on that. 
For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor for the children of the desolate, will, one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at the time he was, who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children's, children of the slave, but of the free woman. You are no longer slaves to sin. You have to cast it out. And he goes on to say in verse five, for for freedom, Christ has set you free. He didn't just forgive you. He set you free into something. What were you forgiven into? But for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not commit, uh, submit again to the yoke of slavery. I wanna just read these really quick to you in the passion, and I want the team to come up, please. Galatians 2, 15 through 16, this is, and I just listen, although we were Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, listen, we know that no one receives God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law, but only by the faith of Jesus. His faithfulness has saved us and we have received God's perfect righteousness. Everyone say, I have received God's perfect righteousness. Does the scripture say yes or no? Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Well, why can you believe it? See, this is, this is where the message begins to penetrate through these religious walls. And, and all the religious walls are, are crutches for ourselves to keep sinning. That's all they are. All they are are, are excuses for ourselves to keep being double-minded and unstable in all of our ways. It's excuses for ourselves to keep being depressed, keep being discouraged, keep being suicidal, keep being down on your dumps and all this, down, on your, down in the dumps, not on your dumps. <laughs> With all your dumping. <laughs> you guys remember at Habitation, I said that the Lord wasn't a gluten? Yeah, I meant glutton, just so probably, I thought we should clear that up. Joey in front, front row said, yeah, I, I did. I, I legit thought it said gluten. No, I'm just, yeah, glutton. Joey's in the front row going, do you think Jesus was gluten-free? Stop, Joey. I'm learning how to read still. <laughs> Let's get back. We have received God's perfect righteousness. Now we know that God accepts no one by the keeping of religious laws. So if he didn't accept it at the cross, why would he accept it now? Verse 20 through 21, my old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. Your old identity no longer lives. And now the essence of the new life is no longer mine for the anointed one lives his life through me. And we live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me dispensing his life into mine. So that is why I don't view God's grace as something peripheral. For if keeping the law could release God's righteousness to us, then Christ would have died for nothing. 
Again, that word peripheral or nullified means adding your own works to what he's done. Thinking that you somehow have the power to, to what came by grace is now becoming your own carrying of your own grace. You don't have the ability. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 in the Passion says, What has happened to you, you foolish Galatians? And who put you under this evil spell? Did God not open your eyes to see the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion? Was he not revealed to you as the crucified one? So answer me this. Did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping Jewish laws? No. You received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. Your new life began when the Holy Spirit gave you a new birth. Why then would you so foolishly from, turn from living in the Spirit by trying to finish, listen, by your own works? Listen to that again. Why then would you so foolishly turn from living in the Spirit by trying to finish by your own works? We all understand not starting in our own works because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But what happens after he died? This is, this is what we add. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, so we remain sinners. What? Do you hear how, how absolutely like bewitching that is? How subtle it is? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then only by his grace can he sustain us. And this says, why do you think that you can finish this out by your own works? I'm almost on Galatians 4, 29. Listen, dear friends, just like Isaac, we're now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. And just as the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. And what does the scripture tell us to do? To expel the slave woman and her son. That the son, listen, of the slave woman will not be, the son of a slave woman will not be a true heir. For the true heir of the promises is the son of the free woman. It's now so obvious. We're not children of the slave woman. We are supernatural sons of the free woman, sons of grace. Like you are the heir of God. What does that mean? You're God's heir. If you don't like it, read your Bible and throw it out. I'm not saying anything to you that is not in scripture. All we've been doing is reading the Bible. The Passion adds in the commentary in regard to verse 30, this is showing that the two sons were not meant to live together. You cannot mingle law and grace for only by grace for only grace is based upon the promise of the new life. And again, from the ESV chapter 5, 16, you will, listen, you will not, not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is what it says. But I say to you, verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not. I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other. The flesh and the spirit. They're opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But you are led by the spirit. You are not under the law. Romans 8 talks about in the Passion in Romans 8, 14. Those that are led by the impulses of the spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is so real that he changes our impulses. He changes reactions. That's who he is. Like that when we used to react in panic and fear, all of a sudden that panic and fear isn't there anymore. Anyone believe in a God that that's big? Like he's changing literally. He didn't just like say, I'm gonna come and repent, change the way you think and then still think the same. Just with this banner called, I'm a Christian now. He's changing the understanding and the expression of Christianity in one generation. And this is the message to a generation. You are the wife of the lamb. Come and marry him. You are the wife of the lamb, not the mistress. You're not a prostitute anymore. Revival is not people seeing how filthy they are. Revival is people running to an altar because they found a God that's saying, I loved you and I've always loved you. And it's my goodness that's gonna draw you. And while you're a prostitute, I'm saying you're a bride. And while you're an alcoholic, I'm telling you you're precious. And while you're a drug addict, I'm telling you, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need the Father's love to hit a generation because you can't love him. You can't love him unless you know that he loved you first. So what we've got is we got a bunch of preachers screaming at you to love him, love him, love him. But do you know about this God that was waiting for you? And while he saw you far off, wasting everything you were given, mankind, he ran to you with a ring and a rope. See, stadiums are going to be filled with people singing, who is this man whose love overflows like a river? Who is this man? And they're gonna shout his name is Jesus. Come to Jesus, all you who are broken and weary and heavy laden. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink and out of your belly, not his, but out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, not a sinner's belly. But out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. I'm not just gonna save you and make you my own. I'm gonna make you like me and a conduit of me to the world. And if the world wants to find purity, they're gonna come to you. If it wasn't about that, I would have stayed. See. When they wanna find righteousness, they're gonna find some people that have been perfected in Christ's righteousness according to Galatians. When they're looking for love, they're gonna come to the people of God that are saying, Come here, you, you bisexual, confused person. The Lord's not going to slap you. He's going to give you a hug. We're preaching so much about hell. So much about hell. Let's, let's just listen. Here's what we'll do. In revivals past, God blessed them, but their message was wrong. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Because here's the message. You're going to burn in hell, run to the front. Well, then what? you got a whole life to live after you made a decision about his house and not him you got a whole life to live how do we live on the earth now they're never going to see that we are the righteousness of God in Christ that in the flesh we live by the faith of the son of God because we got them saved based on his location but what we don't realize is the location is the bride did we read Revelation 21 or not James, listen. So here's the practical side. Ready? Practical side. Desire is everything. It's not about behavior. It's about what you're pursuing. Because behavior modification can't transform your life. He transformed your life. And because he transformed your life, you all of a sudden started walking different. And things you used to desire, you no longer desire. That you used to be cool opening the computer and watching pornography, but you can't anymore. What is that? You didn't make a decision to just be right all of a sudden. I'm going to get right with God. No, you're not. Who's bewitched you? What happened?
happened was, is you encountered this man called love. And he came in and he said, I'm going to make you like me. I'm going to form you into me. And while the world is doing this, you're going to think that you're the old person and you're going to open it. You're going to be disgusted for the first time in your life. And you're going to realize I did nothing to get here. Listen, desire, James 1. You don't have to turn to it. Just read it. Or I'm just going to read it. Blessed is the man, verse 12, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say to you when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away, listen, and enticed with his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from heaven, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He doesn't change. He didn't change how he thinks about you because you messed up yesterday. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of his own will, not his will and your will, but of his own will, he formed you into truth. Listen to this. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That word creatures means original formation. This is what he's doing in a generation. He's bringing us back to an original formation. And here's the thing. It's better than the garden. He's not bringing us back into the garden. See, until you realize that while God was making a garden, the city was already finished. We're not going, I know we sing cute songs about let's go back to the garden. You're not going back to no garden. The garden is upon your heart now, walking with you in the cool of the day. And God is putting a bunch of lights together. Come on, you are the light of the world. Arise and shine for your light has come. I mean, that's crazy. He didn't even say his light. He said, your light has come. And his light is going to shine upon you and deep darkness will cover the earth and the government, but not you. You're going to be like Goshen and it's going to be a disturbance to the darkness, right? But while God was planting a garden, Jesus had already been crucified. He said, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The son knew his purpose from the beginning. They're going to be just like me, image, likeness. They're going to have dominion. Do you believe you're the image and likeness of God? But they're not going to know they're the image and likeness of God. So I'm going to put a tree in the garden. Some of you will leave over this one, but it's okay. I love you. We really do. This tree of good and evil. And the enemy is going to think he's winning. But while he's getting you to bite the fruit, what he doesn't know is that the lamb has already been slain. Yeah, oh my is right. Because we have this weird thing out there that's like God is not in control of anything. Please never say that about my God. He's the God that finishes it and then he starts it. So while they're eating the tree, God's not going, oh no, no, no. Oh. He's just not doing that. He's, he's going, wait till they see my son. And here's what I'm gonna do. Adam, I love what my dad says, in the garden, there wasn't a sound of worship. In the garden, there wasn't a sound of praise. There wasn't a sound of thankfulness that sounded like, God, thank you for your mercy. And what the enemy didn't realize is he was working into the hand of God. 
Because what God was looking for was not just a bunch of prearranged marriages, but people that have decided, I want to marry you forever. I've experienced what it's like to be outside of you, and now I'm experiencing what it's like to be in you, and I'm not going anywhere. He's a master builder. You don't like sovereignty, whatever. It says, it is written. I know maybe you don't read it, but it says, it is written. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus, maybe he's your plan B, but he's not mine. Jesus wasn't plan B. Adam wasn't intended to be the savior and picture of mankind. It was always the lamb. And before he ever made it, he said, listen, they're going to eat this tree, even though I tell them not to because they're babies. When I tell Benji not to do something, he looks at me and walks slowly toward it. (laughs) With a smile on his face the whole time. And I know fully well that he's going to do what I told him not to do. Right, but there comes a day when he grows up and see what we have in the church is a bunch of nurseries everywhere, giant cribs. And we just keep it simple and whatever. And we don't tell them actually who they are. And we keep them at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just be a good decision maker. Don't do this or do this. If you do this, you're going to go to hell. Don't do it. And if you do this, you're going to go to heaven. So do that. But there's a tree called life that has no options. But we had to go through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to experience the life that was available. Otherwise, there's no sound of worship. There's no sound of thankfulness. There's no sound of gratitude. Saying, Lord, thank you for your mercy. It's why, listen, elders and thousands upon thousands cast their crowns before him because of what he's done for them. He said, those that love me, listen, those that I've done much for love me much. We have to recognize what he's done. Adam didn't know anything. All right, I'm going to get too far into that, but desire, desire, desire is what protects us. Desire has children, according to James. What you desire, you birth. Remember in Jeremiah 2, it said, they pursued worthlessness and became worthless. What you pursue, you become. It's not just about what you look at. It's are you going toward him? Are you running after him? And desire has this way of, we're so focused on getting the sin out. I would encourage you, don't focus on getting the sin out, focus on getting him in. And what happens is, as you sit and see, we don't have a sin problem, we have a presence problem. Because if, 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 my, if my mother, this is my sweet mom, was in my room and I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna look at pornography. She's in the room, I'm gonna close the laptop because my mommy's in there. How much more real is God? That if God is among us, that he's dwelling in us and our desire is for him, you wouldn't even consider going into that because you know that he's there. This is why Revelation says, I'm going to be among them and they're going to be my people. So people say, well, how do I practically step into this life? You desire him. Well, what if I don't desire him? Get in your room and close the door and fall on your face and say, thank you. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. A preacher can't, you can't, you can't teach your way into this. You have to encounter this. It's why it's said in Galatians, listen, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because you desire the spirit. I don't know how much more simple to make this. He's getting us back to original blueprint. Desire is your protection. 
and love, listen, is the only way. This is why I started with if he is, if he is our one thing and our only desire, See, it's a generation that's distracted with him. They, don't, they can't think about sin anymore. It's, it's not even on the forefront of their mind. Have you ever read? Paul deals with sin consciousness all over. Well, what is the opposite of being conscious of sin? Unconscious to it. You are dead to sin, according to Romans 6. You're either conscious to it or unconscious, and Paul deals with those that are conscious to it. Be unconscious to sin and conscious to God. He's changing us from sin consciousness to God consciousness. But we're so focused on trying not to be sin conscious, and he's saying, set your mind on things above and not beneath. That's desire that protects us and changes us. Listen, we will see a generation change the expression of Christianity in one generation. From a bunch of, and I'm prophesying now, defeated, bound, and waiting to get to heaven religious people to some Christians who know they are Christ-like ones. Ones that have married the lamb and consider it not robbery to take his name. These are those, listen, who will, who will see Revelation 21 in their day. I believe it. I want it. And I'm going to give my life's pursuit to see it. And I don't have time to think about sin. This is how we live holy. Desire him. Clean hands and a pure heart. It's who can ascend the hill of the Lord but him with clean hands and a pure heart? We focus so much on our clean hands and a pure heart. Walk up the hill and look at him. Just ascend. Just ascend. You're not sinning when you're in worship. So just learn how to abide with him. We're going to see it in our day. Ones that sing, we have been crucified with him. We've died with him. We've been raised with him. And we've been seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2. We are a chosen generation. This is 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Hello, risen nation. His own special people that they may proclaim the praises of him. Colossians 1.27, a people that have solved the mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. A people, listen, that turn creations grown into shouts of praise, shouting, we have found the original formation. You are not a sinner, and I can't say this enough as a pastor. You are not a sinner. You are a son of God. You are not filthy. You are a bride. And when religion tells you otherwise, just show them your ring and your robe and tell them, listen, tell them how you didn't deserve it, but he made you holy, how you didn't earn it, but he gave it to you anyways. This is the message for a generation is he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And as religion fights it, it's going, listen, to cause the world to say things like, Religion's going to fight it, but the world is going to say, who is this man? Who is this man whose love overflows like a river? Who is this man? And here's where I'm going to finish, and then we're going to worship for five minutes, okay? Revelation 22. He's continuing to describe the bride. I love this. Then the angel showed me, still talking about that city called Bride. Then the angel showed me, this is verse one, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. So this is talking about in the middle of the bride. It's still describing, it's one thought, Revelation 21 through 22, one thought. Translators did us a disservice by adding chapters, but it's one thought still talking he's still describing let me show he's it's still describing let me show you the lamb's wife 
a city, right? So in this city, which is the bride, he sees a river running through the middle of the street. And on either side of the river, on either side of the river is the tree of life. Stop. It's not on one side, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil still. And on the other side is the tree of life. Whether you look to the right or the left, you'll find life. There's no more options. It's not, am I good or am I bad? It's, I have lost my life in his life. And whether I look this way or I look this way, there he is. On either side is the tree of life. With its 12 kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Come on, this is what, this is the message that's gonna heal the nations. This is the message that's gonna cause Gen Z to run into buildings, not our stupid rap music and all the other stuff. We try to get them lights and all this stuff to get them in. Turn the nonsense off and tell them about this man called life. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. In what? In the city, in the bride. I don't think you're seeing it. And his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more and they will need no lamp or or the sun for the Lord God will be their light. I love how it goes from describing the city to now it's using words like there. You gotta follow the little things. The Bible says not one little dot or whatever it's called, tittle, tittle. That, was a, that could have been bad. Dot or tittle. Thanks. Whatever. Jot, dot, period, comma. Not one comma in our Bibles will be forgotten. Not one. Every word matters. I love how it goes from describing this city to all of a sudden they will see his face. It's closing Revelation 21 and 22 from, let me show you the bride, the lamb's wife, Here's the city. And then it goes through the whole city. I encourage you, just read it on your own time, the whole city. And then it closes with, they will see my face. I thought you were talking about a city. Nope, I was always talking about the bride. They will see my face and his name will be on their foreheads, on our foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or sun for God will be their light. And they, they, everyone say they. Say I. Say I. Will reign forever and ever. That's really, that's really gonna kick religion right through the face. And they will reign forever and ever. What? A people that have become the throne of God. This is, this is Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 2, he's rebuking prophets that don't have his heart. Jeremiah 3, he comes along and he says, listen, I, you're not gonna even remember the Ark of the Covenant on that day. That little box in that one location. I'm gonna take all of Jerusalem and make it the throne of God. Why? How am I going to do that? Because it's a people. Do you know that Jerusalem itself, before it was a city, was a person named Jacob? We're so seeking land and seeking what's next. St. Augustine talks about, he has a quote, and I'm probably butchering it, but it's close enough. He says, for all of our lives, we've sought a God without going from street to street, city to city, only to find he is a God within. And when that revelation hits your heart, that the whole book is, hey, hey, Jacob, I'm gonna change your name to Israel. And what people think is just another nation, I'm forming a people for myself. 
And these people are four or 5,000 years later are gonna be in cities all over America. And your seed will have no end. And your offspring through Christ will reign for eternity. And I'm gonna make these people this nation. I'm gonna make this nation called the throne of God where the lamb and his wife have gotten married and the father is reading our vows. Don't separate Christ from his bride where you separate Christ from his purpose. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.